Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. From there, you see this kind of outworking of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uh, in Acts 13, we're going to pick up. This is, uh, and, and last week we said it kind of went beyond the bounds, but um, this chapter kind of begins to start focusing on Paul. And while the whole book is called the Acts of the Apostles, from Acts 13 on, Paul becomes the focal point of the rest of the book. And so really from Acts 13 on is kind of known as the Acts of Paul. Because the focus uh, of the entire book focuses on this one man named Saul. And uh, uh, persecution in Jerusalem has driven many uh, Jewish believers uh, up north to a city called Antioch. And Antioch uh, in Syria uh, was now kind of a lot of leaders had assembled in this church in Antioch. And we're going to find a church that catches a vision for the gospel of the kingdom that's beyond them into the larger world. And you're going to see some pretty powerful things today. So uh, let's open up our heart. Let's pray before we dive in. God, thank you for your word. Lord, in times like these that we're in, in this generation, God, times of chaos, God, times of confusion, times of manipulation, in times of having a very hard time putting our finger and our heart and our anchor into truth. So Lord, I pray, Lord, for the power of your word to be that anchor for us this morning. God, may we learn from you this morning. God, we're all in different places with you. And Holy Spirit, you know us so well. God, you've been walking with us. Uh, Lord, there's never been a time where we haven't been without you. But Lord, you know where we're at today, and I pray that, Lord, your, your Holy Spirit would speak in a way that's beyond um, a human voice, uh, Lord, that we would hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, let's, let's dive in. Acts 13, uh, verse 1. Now, uh, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now, pause right there. Um, in, in uh, Ephesians 4, uh, Paul gives us a list of uh, leadership roles in the New Testament church. And there was kind of five primary roles. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, people that love telling people about Jesus, uh, pastor, and teacher. And these were kind of five uh, gifts that God has gave the church for leadership. And uh, it's continual expansion around the globe throughout all generations. Um, and there's been theological debates of, uh, you know, do we have, you know, apostles and prophets? Well, right here in the New Testament, uh, there's prophets in the church in Antioch, just ones that could hear what God is saying to the churches and speak it forth. But anyway, so now there are, uh, in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers. All right, check this bunch out. There's Barnabas which is a nickname, which we learned a couple weeks ago. That is just uh, a nickname means son of encouragement. All right, so here's son of encouragement. Another one, Simeon, who was called Niger. 
Uh, he was an uh, African guy. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, so not even near Antioch on an on a, uh, island of Cyrene. And then Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So here's this list of five people in this church in Antioch, and it's a very interesting bunch. There's a diverse backgrounds. There's from diverse places. So we even see right at the birth of the church, there's the nations that have come together that have, are walking in unity, irregardless of their background, to see God's kingdom come in fuller and fuller ways in their generation. And so, uh, small note, Manian, it says, was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Um, actually, biblical scholars said he was the foster brother of Herod uh, the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas. Now, Herod, this is the Herod that um, killed John the Baptist. This is the same Herod that Jesus was, went, was sent to from Pilate, that after Herod tried him, he sent him back to Pilate to be crucified. This is that same Pilate, or this is the same Herod. And this is his foster brother that's in this church in Antioch. Wow. Same upbringing. Same household, but their choices led them down very different paths from Herod to Manian. And says, verse 2, it says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, while they were ministering to the Lord, uh, another translation says they were worshiping to the Lord. Um, you, when you think about ministering to the Lord, they were ministering to the Lord. Oh, I'll just finish it and then we'll come back. While they're ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So out of this group of uh, probably a lot, but here's some leaders out of the, that group of leaders, while they were praying and fasting, uh, the Holy Spirit said, all right, the two dudes, Barnabas and Saul out of this group, I've got a special task for them. But I wanted to kind of come back with this. What does that mean to minister to the Lord? Um, and have you ever uh, performed anything? Like anything. Whether it be speaking something, performing something, doing something in front of somebody else. Whatever that may be. And afterwards, somebody comes up to you and say, Man, that really helped me. Man, that really blessed me. Man, what you did there, man, that was so helpful. Man, wow, you did such a great job. Wow, that was, that was amazing. You know that kind of response? When you minister to someone else, whether it be through you know, your craft or talent or passion or communication, there's that reception where people are like, wow, yes, I like that. That's the reaction the Lord has when he looks upon us and we're ministering to him and he's like yeah i like that man that's my son that's my daughter man i love when they worship i love when they minister because they come alive when they minister to me and they're saying they were fasting well what's that just uh, that's abstaining from food um, uh, we don't really fast too much in this culture. Um, usually it's uh, instant gratification now, please, and more. Uh, usually that's our kind of uh, disposition that we're kind of trained to have. But here, these people are 
pursuing the purposes of God in their generation. And they're meeting together as leaders to fast and pray for what God may do within and through them. It's powerful. Verse 3, it says, Then after fasting and praying a little more, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right, so boom, Barnabas and Saul are sent out from Antioch of Syria. Uh, And so Barnabas and Paul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed to for the island of Cyprus. Now, uh, we also learned that Barnabas was also from Cyprus. And so here's Barnabas and Saul, and they're going to kind of Barnabas' hometown. And at this point, Excuse me, at this point, Barnabas is kind of the leader, uh, or kind of the, the captain, and Saul's kind of his wingman. And uh, they go to the one place that probably Barnabas is the most familiar with. Then in verse 5, it says, There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Now, that's where, they, as, as these followers of Jesus would go out, and they would go to new towns, new villages. They would first go to the synagogues, the Jewish synagogue, because they knew kind of like the backdrop story of Jesus. They, they, they were their low-hanging fruit in that culture. And so they would kind of go to the Jewish synagogue first, share the gospel about Jesus, and then depending on the receptivity there, then they would kind of go on beyond into the Gentile population. And so John Mark, who's kind of a key figure um, that are following these uh, disciples and apostles around, went with them, uh, also known as Mark, or the author or writer of the Gospel of Mark. Anyway, verse 6, afterward they traveled from town to town uh, across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So as they're going on, they meet this guy named Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a common name back in Jewish culture at that time, so it wasn't necessarily a direct reference to Jesus Christ. Um, but here's this guy, this Jewish sorcerer. And that's interesting. It's a contradiction in terms, given that Jewish laws forbid sorcery and true magic. So here's this Jewish sorcerer. Bar Jesus was not a lot of law-abiding Jew, but a false prophet. He was a self-stylized revealer of spiritual fortunes and futures. He mixed Judaism and other mystical religions, other mystical ideologies, and it happens from time to time, and it happens time and time again, which tells us that Satan is all about deception and uses religion and false ideologies to keep people in subjection. And we've seen that throughout history. But here's this this guy, Bar-Jesus, a false prophet, a Jewish sorcerer. Probably like when you think about like what Kabbalah is today. I mean, that's that's kind of like what this Bar-Jesus was, that's kind of the, the what he was following. And now look, he attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus who was an intelligent man, a governor. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, that would be his Greek, that would be his, um, uh, another Greek name, uh, same guy that they're referring to. Had to look that up. 
But Elamus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, refer, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Now here's this guy. So here's, he's got a position of power right next to the governor. He's kind of his advisor, his spiritual advisor. And, and here comes Barnabas and Saul, and the governor wants to hear from these guys. I want to hear what you're saying. What do you got? And Bar-Jesus steps in the way and tries to interfere, tries to keep them from hearing God's word. Kind of think about this. There's a particular character, and I don't know if you're familiar with the story uh, of Lord of the Rings, but there's a particular character in that, especially Two Towers, who's, who's an assistant to King Theoden, and his name's Wormtongue. And that's, that's kind of like the picture I see about Bar-Jesus. He's just whispering into the governor's ear exactly what he wants or the one that's controlling him wants to have happen. And it happens time and time again throughout history. But here, Bar-Jesus uh, is whispering into this governor, now Saul, now it, from this point on, this verse, Saul, also known as Paul. Now it's not that just it just you know changed his he just changed his name, or the author just changed, or Luke just changed his name in writing this. Um, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman Greek name. And so it's at this point that Paul's, Saul's ministry begins to turn towards the Gentiles, the Greek-Roman world, and therefore he took upon his Greek-Roman name. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye, and then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, and the enemy that all that is good... Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Whoa. 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 Paul with a little sauce. Paul with a little just like, wait, wait, wait. That's, wait, so, okay, you're saying Acts is kind of this model of the New Testament, followers of Jesus. But as, as I've grown up, um, when I think about, okay, here's Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. When you think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, you think, oh man, God's presence is like thick. It's there. Oh man, the peace, the joy, the gentleness, the compassion. And yet that is there. That's all there. But a lot of times we reduce God to our own image and what we would like him to be. And especially with the cultural kind of pressures that we have around us, we love reducing God to a God in our own image that we like so that he doesn't offend people. That he doesn't cross people's will. That he doesn't trigger them. Because if we were to actually do that, then maybe the purposes of God would be thwarted in that person's life. But the church has been doing that at the expense of truth for very long for too long. So the Holy Spirit is not as nice as we want him to be at times. And many times niceness is a cover for cowardice. So instead of facing that, we make God as nice and soft as we want him so we don't 
have to face the hard issues and maybe in our own heart, maybe in our own life, maybe the mistakes, and we're suffering the consequences of the choices that we've made in the past, and we don't like to deal with those kind of pressures, and therefore we serve, we create a God that doesn't necessarily care about those things. But here's Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks a direct word to this man who's interfering with what God is wanting to get done. And Paul steps in to a place of his authority as a follower of Jesus over the powers and principalities at work over that situation. And as a follower of Jesus, um, oh, I may re-preach this message uh, here soon, but as a follower of Jesus, we have to see the world in which it's, in which it's created. Well, it, it would take too long. But basically the scriptures lay out a reality that have kind of three different heavens. There's like the first heaven, which is our created, you know, skies and the earth and all the created order. Then Paul's in 2 Corinthians says, man, I was praying and I got caught up to the third heaven. And it's this kind of interesting phrase that Paul uses in the scriptures. And he's like, man, the third heaven, what are you talking about? But here's this, it's, God, it's where God's kind of like habitat, habitation is God's pure presence uninterfered with by sin, corruption, perversion. But then Paul lays out it very clearly in Ephesians that, man, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And we don't wrestle people but we wrestle the powers and principalities and the powers in the unseen realm. That's where the second heaven fallen demonic angels that influence our world. And it's very important, I think, as followers of Jesus that we see that, man, there is a force that's beyond humanity that tries to get people divided, to try to stir them up to see the other a particular way, Oh, well, well, this is my position. Well, your posi well if, you're, if that's your position, then you must therefore be boom, 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 boom. And that's happening all over the place. And if we're not seeing, man, that's the demonic scheme of what's happening. And as a follower of Jesus, I refuse to bow to that scheme that I see happening out in the world. As a follower of Jesus, I'm like, man, we're here for Unity, and in Christ, there is unity. In Christ, there's forgiveness. In Christ, there's redemption. There's, there's restoration. The places of our fractured uh, being becomes healed and made whole. And so Saul is not having it. Saul does not want the schemes of the enemy to interfere with what happens. And so he goes on. Verse 11, so he rebukes him, son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of the, all that is good. Will you not stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Now it's just interesting that... The, that Paul, of all people, of all people, 
God used to see this happen over Bar-Jesus' life because the same thing happened to Saul on his way to a city to persecute and kill Christians. Jesus knocks him off his horse, reveals himself, speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus blinds him so that he has to be led about and he is led to a man named Ananias that the Holy Spirit had given a dream before like, hey, this persecutor, just give you a heads up. I'm coming after him and I'm sending him to you. And, you're, and Ananias is like, oh man, all right. So, but he comes, he has to be led to Ananias' house. And it's at that place where he gets discipled and trained. And so the same thing is happening. I don't know, I can't explain. I, and maybe, I think sometimes it's like, man, how do you explain that? Why did that happen? And there's sometimes in some moments where God just says, this is what I want to have happen. And boom, it happens. And you can't necessarily put it in a nice little theological box and, all right, what are the steps? You know, what are the cool things to kind of get there? And it just doesn't work that way. Because sometimes God can't be boxed in. And and it leads us to lean in to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be led. I mean, I'm going to be led as a safety net. I'm going to be led by principles. I'm going to be led by by the principles that Scripture lays out about almost every area of life. I'm going to live by those principles. But those are that's the safety net to my life. I want to live in God's presence. I want to live in God's presence, well away from kind of the guardrail of God's principles. I want to live dead center in God's presence. So this happened. And then verse 12, here's the money shot right here. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When God shows up, it's very hard for people to not notice. We're going to keep going. Verse 13, it says, Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, that's a whole backdrop story uh, we won't get into, but there was a little rift in between John Mark, and I don't know if it was... um, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to keep going because maybe they got some resistance just in that story where he's just like, man, I, I don't know if I have what it takes, guys. I mean, this is getting pretty intense. Um, and so I don't know if he bailed. There's really no, we can't really tell. But anyway, he leaves, John Mark uh, kind of leaves the company. Um, but Paul and Barnabas traveled on to Antioch of Poseidon. Now, this is another Antioch. Thinking like, it's like Springfield. You know, it's like, what, uh, what state are you talking about? Which Springfield, you know? So this is just kind of another Antioch that uh, if you're kind of like, here's the Mediterranean and here's Israel, uh, Antioch of Syria is here and then Antioch of Poseidon is a little bit um, over towards Rome. But anyway, um, on the Sabbath, Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. That was a common thing during uh, their synagogue services is there would be a portion kind of towards the tail end. 
in which they would give a rabbi or traveling rabbi kind of space to just, hey, you got anything on your heart? Come up and share. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. Men of Israel, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Now, real quick, this is Paul who wrote half the New Testament. This is his first recorded like, message of the gospel. This is Paul's first like, written message of like, what would Paul say in these towns? And we're going to look at, and we're gonna, I'm just going to read through. It's not very long, but I'm just going to, so we get the full like, scope and heat of what Paul is saying. But he basically shares the gospel with them. Now the gospel, um, if you were to kind of like break it down into kind of maybe five little headings, it would be creation. That God is the creator. He's the one in charge. We're his creation. We're, we didn't create him. He created us. And then we fell. We rebelled against his rule and reign. We wanted to define good and evil on our own terms because we love being God. Then there's the story of Israel, Israel's growth and fall. That God gave the nations over to the, the fallen Elohim, and he chose one family through Abraham. I'm going to choose one nation to work through. And then there's the redemption of Jesus and the restoration of Jesus' kingdom. So there's kind of like the five little headings. Um, but... Paul is uh, not going to include creation in the fall because that's kind of understood. But what's his speech is what's known as a historical retrospective. So in Jewish culture, um, they didn't write too many things. It was an oral tradition. So you would memorize the whole, uh, by the time you were eight, you would memorize the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, if you grew up in uh, Hebrew school. If you continued on in school, you would memorize the entire Old Testament by the time you were 13. You would memorize this orally. Well, part of how they would communicate is that they would have a little historical retrospective in that they would repeat kind of a very commonly known story, but they would kind of repeat the story to also add on to it at the end. And that's what Paul does. So here we go. This, he stands up in front of the synagogue in Antioch of Poseidon and says this, The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think that I am the Messiah? No, I am not. But he is coming soon, and I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie 
the sandals of his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the, one of the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants by raising Jesus this is what the second Psalm said about Jesus. You are my son today. I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another Psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not in reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone who God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Everything the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. That's Paul's message to this church. Proclaiming that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar, not the prophets, but God, in the, God came in the flesh and tabernacled. He moved into the neighborhood. And here's this Jesus being offered to these brothers and sisters in the synagogue. And it goes on and says, many became followers of Jesus. But I think that it's, it's really needed for us, if you are a follower of Jesus, that you actually know the story of the gospel. It's really important that you know uh, Jesus. It's really important that you're connecting with Jesus. Um, I grew up in church, and I had kind of liked the teachings of Jesus. I liked Jesus. Um, the church people were a little hard. <laughs> hey, you know, it's like, man, I love God, but man, his people are just a difficult thing. Um, but anyway, um, but I had, you know, just developed this kind of dualistic, hypocritical lifestyle and being one way to particular people and being just, I was just being fake. And uh, it was when somebody in my life just kind of saw right through my game because I'd been playing games with God. I'm just like, I want your benefits. I don't want the sacrifice. And I lived that way for so long. And Justin, I just wanted to live my life. 
but with kind of a Jesus sticker on it. And I don't know if you can resonate with that at all, but there was a time in my life where that game playing just really kind of came to a head. And I had to make a decision. I, and I began seeing that my rebellion, my pride, my spiritual pride, my perversion, the things in my heart that were just kind of coming at me was not only destroying my life, but it was destroying the relationships that I was in. It was, just, it was fracturing me year after year, more and more fractured, and I just didn't understand because I thought this life, man, I, you're, you're just making your own decisions, but I just get, you just get more and more fractured. And it was like you could kind of clearly see how my sin was creating a wall between me and God. And at times I'd think, well, God, I'm building that wall for you. No, I was building that wall to keep God at bay. But then, here's this Jesus, who, as Paul said, he came to not only forgive your sin, but to restore you to who God made you to be. And Paul goes on and he writes in another letter, he goes, for you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus so that you could do the good works that he's planned for you to walk in. That we don't just become a masterpiece just so that we can feel good about ourselves. We become a masterpiece following the master so that he can do the good things that he's planned to do through your life. Come on, everybody. Amen. You are God's masterpiece. Another goes on and he says, man, for God is able to do infinitely far more above and beyond what you could ever think or imagine according to the power that's at work within you. God is trying to capture your imagination of what God can do through human beings. Jesus came as a model of what one person can do who's fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus says he put aside his godness and came in the form of a man. I mean, it would be one thing that if Jesus is like, okay, he's God, yeah, he's perfect, okay, one. But he set aside that and yielded his life perfectly. And the authority that he walked with and the power of the Holy Spirit to see people come into healing, to see people come into wholeness, to see the, the, the trauma and drama of the world that's been thrust upon so many people from maybe the time that they were born, to see them meet Jesus and to see them look into the eyes of a God that's never left them, a God that loves them entirely. But we have to yield. Yield. We don't get the privileges of coming in and just be still being God. No, it's God. I yield to you being in charge. And I want to follow your way. I don't maybe understand all the, your ways. Some of them are a little uh, confusing, but God, I want to understand. And I want to fall in love with the God that I know that you are. We need to raise up this place. We, I don't know if you've been feeling a sense, but because of all that's going on, it's revealing within God's church that we, God's church, have to create courageous champions for the kingdom of God. 
There's just not even a, there's not even a question. We can't just kind of keep kind of doing what we've been doing and kind of living in this kind of American dream Christianity that God is trying to kind of pull us out of to say, are you a legitimate follower of Jesus? Because it may cost you something. You may have to actually sacrifice something. You actually may have to throw your reputation on the line and risk people being caught off guard by you, offended by you, triggered by you, just because you're following Jesus, not because you're being a religious jerk. God save us from religious arrogance and self-righteousness. But it's that our heart is fully yielded to him. Nothing like Bar-Jesus who tried to sync up his faith, faith with false ideologies and is rebelling against God. It's happening in the church all over. This kind of syncretism. We're trying to sync up God's word with culture. We're trying to sync this. And so what happens is we throw out the authority of God's word and we try to cut and paste God's word to kind of fit the God that we want him to be. Know your word. This is the last word of encouragement. Know your word. Follower of Jesus. And if you're just still searching out Jesus, that's cool. You don't have to take this. But if you're a follower of Jesus... I'm telling you with the authority that all that God has given me, know your word. Please put this as a regular diet of daily. God, I'm going to chew your word today. I'm just, I'm not going to go hungry. I'm not going to go hungry on your word because so much of the world is getting thrown at you beyond what you're realizing and its influence, and its manipulation, and its gaslighting of what true reality really is. And we just kind of eat that up, and we think kind of like, hey, giving God some praise, you know, a little 45 on Sunday is going to actually get the job done. It's not. It's not. And just really soberly, it's not. So please, digest, eat, chew the cud on God's word. Know it, know it, know it. Because then God has something to work with. Paul knew God's word. And so Paul could kind of step into that place, into that opportunity that God was giving him to boldly proclaim the lordship, Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of Jesus. And so that's just walking through this verse. You know, we could kind of pick, we picked up so much, we didn't even complete the chapter. There's a little extra. But just walking through chapters like this and just like, God, Just reveal what you're doing. Reveal what you're speaking. Because this is God's living word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I just pray and thank you for these mighty men and women of God. Lord, they've leaned into you. God, they want all that you have for them. God, and I just thank you for the faith that's in this room. God, I just thank you for the heart and the families and the the lives, God, of People in this room, God, the journeys, the heartaches, the crashes, the tears, the celebrations, the joy, the victories, the breakthroughs. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. God, may we not fail to see with eyes of just thankfulness and gratitude what you're doing in and through us and in and through this community. Lord, I pray that you would take us and raise us up to be your courageous champions in this hour. God, we need you, Lord, you're you're asking your church to be this. 
And Lord, I just, Lord, we just, uh, God, maybe for, Lord, today, we just commit our heart to be yielded to you. God, today, we just commit our heart to, God, see reality through your word. See reality. Father, I pray that you would um, take us. God, if there's any of us in here that, Lord, that we've been kind of searching for you, but God, we know that you are the one. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one sent by God to redeem mankind. And God, maybe some of us have been just living in that kind of, I'm my own God. I get to define what's right and wrong. God, and I pray that, Lord, you would just touch our rebellious heart and wake us up. That we can't play games with you. God, that you're in charge. But God, you made us for a purpose. God, you made us as a masterpiece. God, you've made us to walk in the things that you've planned for us to walk in. And Lord, I just pray that you would have your way with us. Have your way with our community, with our relationships. And God, grow something that, Lord, we would look back and say, God, only you were the one that could have done that. God, you are the one that gets the glory. Lord, prepare our hearts for the need that's before us and the call that's before us. And God, let us keep our eyes fixed upon our true enemy. And God, let us not succumb to this divisive spirit that's over our nation. God, we're going to operate and function above that. God, because they're human beings. They're people. God, people that God just see things differently. But that, that, is, that does not diminish them being made in the image of God. And so, Lord... We as your people do not see according to the flesh, but God, we see according to the spirit. And Father, I pray that you would train us to see that way. Train us to see according to the spirit about what you're doing over people, what you're doing in people. God, what you're doing in our nation, what you're doing in our world. God, wake us up. Um, Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.